want to point out something really to clarify something I said at the end of the sermon. I talked about Jesus being the righteous one whose monuments don't need to be torn down. I'm not talking about statues of Jesus, actually. Uh, we should have never been making those in the first place. What I'm saying is he's the one person who you're not going to find something in his life that warrants canceling him. So the debate over what to do about Jesus' images continues, wasn't weighing in on that. God bless you. Let's continue talking about these things, and uh, let's continue reflecting on them and ask God to make us righteous and just. In Jesus' name. Good morning, New Song LA, and welcome to the Summer of Soul. As we were looking for a title for this new series, uh, we thought about the fact that it's summertime, and I just was reflecting on those warm summers growing up and that soul music playing in the background. And then we also thought, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, and we're going to have different speakers coming in, and, and what do they all have in common? We're going to speak from the soul. We're just going to talk about what God is putting on our hearts. We're going to share with you those things that are, that are occupying most of our time and meditation before God. So today's message is the first in a series entitled The Summer of Soul, where we'll be giving you soul talks, talks from the heart, what God has been placing on our heart. I want to talk about right now the trouble in our nation and a lot of the strife that we've been experiencing, but all of that in the context of what we just celebrated yesterday, the 4th of July, Independence Day. It was an exciting weekend for us Edgerleys. You know, we were cooped up in our house most of the time. We were on lockdown. We weren't able to go to the beach, weren't able to go to the park. So, you know, it was a wonderful and exciting summer day. Actually, we had a great time. Friday night, we watched Hamilton again. Some of you may have seen Hamilton. It's now streaming on Disney. This is not a commercial, but man, the play is good. I just got to say it. So I really enjoyed it, and it got me reflecting again on the history of America and how we're wrestling with that right now as people are tearing down monuments and others are decrying the fact that the monuments are being torn down. And they've become kind of a symbol of the struggles that we face in our country. And then comes Independence Day, the 4th of July. And I was reminded of uh, Frederick Douglass, who was once asked to give a speech on the 4th of July, and the essence of his speech was, why are you asking me to give a speech on the 4th of July when my people were not set free that day? So there's a tension in our country, and that leads me to the title of our message today. It talks about the theme of unity and how can God bring us all together? How do we come together when we have these differences and these tensions? And so today's message is entitled, One Nation Under a Groove. One Nation Under a Groove. The fact is, we can easily get caught in a groove. And those of you who are not familiar with vinyl records, they would actually sit on a turntable with a needle on the groove, and as the record played, the sound would come from the vibrating needle. I know, millennials, it sounds bizarre, but that's how music was conveyed when I was growing up. And today, we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to come together and how can we come together without getting stuck in a groove? We're going to be looking primarily at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3, but I'm going to be telling some stories from the Bible and from life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I pray today that you will pour out your spirit upon me to say exactly what you once said, no more, no less. Pour out the spirits on all of those who listen. May we all come into the presence of the living God and be changed, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think about this, this uh, 
Fourth of July, I'm reminded of childhood memories, fond memories of my dad coming home with all of these fireworks and, and playing with them and blowing things up and occasionally stinging my hand from holding a firecracker too long. And this year, I was disappointed that there weren't going to be these public um, uh, fireworks displays in our city, but man, my neighbors came through. I must say, on the west side in L.A., Man, they know how to party. So we went out walking through the streets, and the streets were filled with bombs and bottle rockets, and, and I mean, people bought the big stuff. And so there were massive firework demonstrations and displays. In fact, I would say this was the most spectacular fireworks display that I have actually seen because we were up close watching the bombs go off and the paper falling down on our heads. At one point, one of these big rockets that somebody set off tipped over and flew over somebody's car and onto somebody's lawn. It was a very exciting night. The bombs kept going off until about 3 o'clock in the morning. But it got me thinking about the Revolutionary War and about the beginning of America and the tensions that we have right now as people are reflecting upon the, fa the founding fathers and upon the hypocrisy of the fact that the United States begins with the Declaration of Independence that talks about the, the fact that human beings are created equal and the need for freedom, the cry for freedom for everyone, and yet there were people who were enslaved at that time and continue to be enslaved for many, many years to come. We have struggled with discrimination, we have struggled with oppression and people being treated as property and then as second-class citizens. And now as people go back and reflect on that history, they look at the people who started the country and they think, well, these people are not heroes and they look at people whose monuments are up, especially those from the Confederacy, and saying, these people are definitely not heroes, and let's tear them down. I think that what's going on right now is a, a point where the attention getting uh, has already happened, and we are moving to those, the point of decision. Now that we have everyone's attention, now that the world is focused on this issue of injustice, what do we do? And so I want to give you uh, some thoughts on that, and I want to reflect on it on three levels. One question is, what do we do with the past? The next question is, what do we do with the present? And the third, what direction do we set for the future? What do we do with the past? What do we do with the present? What direction do we set for the future? When I think about the past, uh, it reminds me of a rearview mirror. If you imagine driving down the road in a car, you look in the rearview mirror to see what is behind you, you're not going backwards, and you're not going to cover the ground that you've already passed. But that rearview mirror is very important as you navigate forward because if you suddenly make a lane change, there is someone behind you who just might come up and crash into you as you're making that lane change. If you decide to turn, if you try, decide to change direction, there may be something in that rearview mirror that could threaten the change that you are about to make. And so as we look at history, I want us to think about it as a rearview mirror. Think about it as something that informs how you are navigating forward, but it is not something that can be changed. It is not something that we give our full 100% attention to because when you do, you're going to crash. If you stare at that rearview mirror too long, you will crash. What do I mean by that? Let's talk about the people who started this country. You know, I loved uh, watching Hamilton again, and actually Alexander Hamilton is a fascinating character as the play portrays, and some of it has been fictionalized, but much of the story in the play 
um, by Lin-Manuel Miranda is actually a true um, presentation of the character of this guy and the uniqueness of him. One of the things I love about Alexander Hamilton is that he was adamantly against slavery. He spoke out against it. He criticized Jefferson about it. But then one of the things that I don't like is that he actually compromised and in the formation of this country went along with a constitution that did not get rid of slavery. And in fact, he was close friends with slaveholders like George Washington and Philip Schuyler, who was his father-in-law. And so you find that this guy is a bit of a mixed bag. While there are some things that he said when it comes to issues of justice and slavery that are absolutely magnificent, you get disappointed when you look at the fact that he didn't fight to end it 100%, that eventually he compromised along the way, and especially with people who were close to him, he did not criticize them. I think that's a great example of exactly what humanity is. If we are looking for heroes in the past, whether it's the founding fathers of America or, frankly, the characters in the Bible, we will be consistently disappointed with one exception. Let me give you a, a passage of scripture to reflect on this morning. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Uh, and as we jump into Romans chapter 2, we're going to start out with Romans chapter 1. That's a good way to start. Romans chapter 1 actually uh, talks about how the nations of the world descended into chaos, how they became absolutely wicked. And it's really a criticism of the nations or as uh, the, the word is often translated in the Bible, the Gentiles. The word nations and Gentiles are the same word. It's Israel talking about all of the other nations. And so as the Apostle Paul describes the nations, he says, first of all, that God revealed to everyone that God exists through the things that God has made. But people rejected the Creator God and instead began to worship created things and to worship really themselves. And because of that, they were they were led into all kinds of sin. And he gives this litany of sins that the nations of the world are guilty of. I just want to go to the end of that chapter, and it'll take us into chapter 2, and listen to what he says about these people who became so wicked. Think about some of the people that you are uh, criticizing today, perhaps as you look back at our history and you find disappointment with some of the leaders that started this country, some of the people who led the country, some were in, who are in positions of power even now, and we may see their flaws, and these words may be apt and applicable to the people who we are thinking about. Listen to this in chapter 1 of Romans, beginning with verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now perhaps when you think about uh, your history classes in elementary school and high school, perhaps you were never told these words to describe the founding fathers or to describe uh, people who were leaders at various seasons throughout America. But today, people are taking to the streets with exactly those sentiments towards some of these leaders, finding that when you examine their lives closely, you find their lives to be filled with unrighteousness, 
filled with evil, in fact, inventors of evil, finding ways to do horrific things. And so we read these words, and it can fill us with righteous indignation. I think that's, that's the emotion that causes people to take to the streets in protest, to tear down monuments of people who fought to defend slavery, uh, to tear down monuments even in, in a more figurative sense, as we look at the names of people who are elevated as heroes, and we want to destroy the legacy of those people. But I think that that is an inappropriate way to approach history overall. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's some monuments that need to come down. There's some monuments that were put up for no other reason than to declare dominance over people and to remind them of the terrorism that they were living under. But each of those cases, we can adjudicate those all day. What I think is important, though, when it comes to, to history, when it comes to the rearview mirror, is what do we do with the past? And I think one of the things we need to learn from Scripture is when you look to the past, don't look for perfect heroes. Don't look for perfect heroes. Instead, look at people by the standard that God sets and evaluate them honestly. One of the things about the Bible when it comes to history is the Bible doesn't glaze over things. Let's talk about some of those heroes in the Bible. King David, for example, is a guy you can learn a ton of, of things from. His life is put on display throughout Scripture in 1 Samuel. We learned so much about this guy, King David. And so God wanted us to know about him from the time of his childhood to his, his courage and his rise to power, his marriages, the times when he was uh, uh, running from someone who was trying to kill him, his political rivals, and his mistakes. Here's a guy that God called a man after my own heart that when you look into his life, you find an instance in which he found a woman that, that was attractive to him. And this guy used his power as king, abused that power in order to take advantage of another woman, a woman who was the wife of one of his loyal soldiers. And then when that woman got pregnant, he had that soldier killed. So do we erase David from history? God chose to do the exact opposite. God chose to put him on display. God chose to give us the details of his life so that we can see both the righteous and the wicked together, the wickedness of his heart at times and the righteousness of his heart at others. And one of the key things about this guy, David, is that when he was confronted with his sin, he repented of it, and being the poet and the songwriter that he was, he wrote about his sorrow for his sin. And we can use even the lyrics of his writings now to lament the sin that we see in ourselves. And so David is a guy who today might be canceled because he would be perfect for the Me Too movement as a poster child. And he was actually a murderer and an oppressor of people as well. But is that really how we deal with history? I think that part of the problem with America is that we do promote mythology. We present these characters who shaped our country, whether they be the founders or they be past presidents or uh, chief justices of the Supreme Court or governors and what have you. We present these people with um, only their good side as we tell our children about the work that they did in establishing a nation. And we try to paint the picture that America was kind of a new Israel, a country that was created by the providence of God, a country that was created by God's decision as some unique righteous nation or as one political leader called it, a city set on a hill, which God actually used those words to describe his church. But 
America, if you want to look at it from a, a Christian perspective, was founded as an act of rebellion against the king. Now, I love the way King George is portrayed in the play Hamilton. He's one of the most comical characters. But it's interesting, when you look at the life of this guy, King George, he was actually a very devout Christian, read his Bible on a daily basis in his personal devotions, and was, no, was known for his piety and devotion to God. Now, you look at his life, and you'll see all kinds of things that he did. It was like, how could a righteous man do that? But when it comes down to uh, him declaring his allegiance to God, there was no room for wavering on that. This guy fought, in fact, to defend the Anglican church. And so when the, when the people in the 13 colonies in what became the United States rebelled against the king, they rebelled against a Christian king. Those who are fond of pointing to Romans chapter 13 and the need to obey the governing authorities, America would not exist if the 13 colonies had obeyed the governing authorities. So while I'm glad to be an American and I love the fact that I'm a citizen and I enjoy celebrating the 4th of July, uh, I also don't try to glaze over the fact that America started as an act of disobedience to Romans chapter 13. So you're like, what do you mean? The, the founding fathers were Christians. Well, some of them were Christians and some were deists. But when you just examine them by the standard of scripture, you're going to have a hard time saying that God started America as some kind of new Israel. Here's another aspect of it. When it comes to the issue of freedom, don't be surprised if African Americans uh, have a little bit of trouble with the 4th of July because, in fact, there were African Americans at the time, and they weren't African Americans, but black people at the time living in the colonies who fought on the side of the British. And the reason they did was because King George told them that if they fought on the side of the British, they would be given their freedom and they would be given acreage, they would be given land, uh, and they were, in fact, given land in Nova Scotia, many who fought on the side of the British. Now, there were others who fought on the side of uh, the colonies, and they didn't fare so well in the short run. So it's a bit of a mixed, his mixed history. But as we point back and we look at the unrighteous deeds of past figures, do we judge them by this standard that we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31? looking at their sins and being filled with righteous indignation? If so, I believe the Apostle Paul has a warning for us all in Romans chapter 2. But once again, let's close out chapter 1. Chapter, 32 says, or chapter 1 verse 32 says this, Though they knew God, God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, let me apply that in the case of uh, people who endorsed slavery and segregation and all those things. The Bible says that men stealers, kidnappers, slave traders, as we would call them today, are people engaged in human trafficking, are worthy of death. That's what the Bible says. So this passage in Romans chapter 1, verse 32 would aptly apply to anyone who was involved in the slave trade, that though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I think that would be an apt accusation of a lot of people as you go through American history. However, in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul warns us about our righteous indignation. Listen to this. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, the book of Romans. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. 
Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Let's pause right there. We need to examine ourselves a bit more carefully. I think about the many products that we enjoy, and we enjoy them at reasonable prices, but how carefully do we scrutinize where those products come from? And what hands helped in the manufacturing of the things that we enjoy? The fact is there are people all over the world working for slave wages, working for, for far below a living wage, and those who in fact are working as slaves around the world today in forced labor to produce products that are then sold all over the world. In fact, there are estimates today that there are more people in slavery than in any other time in human history. That, in fact, human trafficking is, is a huge, booming business. And so when we look back at past generations and we look at the fight of abolitionists who so courageously fought to end the slave trade and fought for the freedom of the slaves, do we examine ourselves by the same standard and how aggressively are we then fighting as abolitionists today to end modern-day human trafficking? Are we fighting for those who labor with such low wages that they are unable to survive? Are we fighting for justice today the way people did in the past? And even some of the people whom we judge as being inconsistent in their declarations of justice, are we inconsistent? And will future generations examine us with the same level of scrutiny? And so when we look at what do we do with the past, I would say the main thing to do with the past is to learn. Learn from it. Look at the examples of people who were righteous. Look at the examples of people who failed. And rather than condemn them as though we had the authority to do so, let's learn from their mistakes. And then that brings us to the present. What do we do with the present? With the present, we have decisions to make. And I think a good guide for those decisions is Jesus' warning to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who considered themselves very righteous during his time. Jesus said to them, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. He said that you have given attention to the, to the details, these minor things of the law, but you neglected the weightier matters of justice and mercy. And so today, one of the, the struggles that we have as we become filled with righteous indignation at police brutality and racism and injustice is that it's difficult to unwind the complex laws and policies and customs and even cultural biases that are involved and solve those problems. And we may instead get so focused on symbols that we miss the moment. Symbols are important. Some symbols are, in fact, uh, tools of oppression, 
don't get me wrong, I think we should pay attention to symbols. But symbols are not substance. And what we need at this moment is substantive change. We need to reevaluate the way we do policing, the way that we do uh, justice in general, to get rid of this practice of mass incarceration. We need to look at issues of unconscious bias and examine ourselves to see where are we prejudiced toward other people and where do our prejudices show up, in fact, in policies that in which we are complicit. But that is a complicated work. That is a detail-oriented work, but Jesus would say that that is the weightier aspect of the law. That is the issue of justice and mercy. And so today, let's make decisions of substance. Let's do the hard work of educating ourselves on where we are complicit in injustice and where we need to stand against it and unravel systems that are still imperfect. And then when it comes to the future, what do we do with that? We don't live in the future, we live in the present, but what we do now will set the trajectory for the future. And so our main posture with the future is to set a direction for it. In the present, we decide what to do with things that are current. And in terms of the future, we set a direction for things that cannot be fulfilled in our own lifetime. It reminds me of the way cathedrals were built. When someone would lay a foundation for a massive structure and work throughout their lives only to get the walls up to a certain height. And then those worn out tools that they used to build the portion that they were able to build in their lifetime would be handed over to another generation that would continue to build. That first generation not only would lay foundations of stone, but they would plant orchards for trees to be, to be grown for timbers in the days to come. And generations later, the grandchildren of the ones who began those cathedrals would go to now fully grown orchards, cut down trees that were planted by previous generations, and use them for the beams of the ceiling of the cathedral. Today, are we setting a direction for the future? Are we beginning projects of justice and mercy that cannot be completed in our lifetime that others will have to take up? When it comes to this issue of righteousness, I think there is one last message that is the critical one for those of us who name the name of Christ. We will not be de declared righteous by our own actions. We cannot stand before God and be declared righteous even today. And so I want to remind you of the words of Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. My friends, today... Perhaps you care about justice, you care about righteousness, but if you are honest, you'll look at yourself and say, I am not a just person, I am not a righteous person, and future generations would have to evaluate me and see my flaws. And if you stand before God and you say, you know, I de deserve to be declared righteous because I've done these good things, God is 100% just and God is 100% honest, and he knows even better than we do how unworthy we are. 
And that is why God, in his infinite mercy, sent his son to become one of us, to take on himself all the sins of the world, to actually die at the hands of unjust, oppressive government and religious officials, to experience what it is to be the victim of sin. And he also took upon himself the sins that we have committed so that he could be judged as though he were guilty And that would allow God then to declare you and I not guilty. Friend, have you been declared not guilty by God? Have you, in fact, found that righteousness that comes only from God? Because it comes also with a power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to then become part of the solution with God working in and through you. If you care about justice, if you care about righteousness, begin with that glance in the mirror Begin with repentance before a holy God and ask that God to forgive you of your sins and then make you part of the solution to make a greater and more righteous world, a world that God will one day make perfect when Jesus Christ returns. Just as we celebrate the 4th of July and we celebrate those who, though flawed and imperfect, created a nation that has some really cool features to it, one of them being the ability to self-correct because of the way the documents are written, as we celebrate the fact that we now have responsibility to keep crafting this country and make it even more righteous and get rid of the vestiges of evil that are within it, in a similar way, we celebrate the founding of the church, but it is a much richer celebration because the founder of the church was perfect and righteous. And on the night before he gave his life for all of us who are imperfect, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And as often as you eat it, you do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let us remember right now the one who is perfectly righteous. And let's ask his forgiveness for those of us who are not. In the same way, when the supper was ended, he took this cup, a bitter cup of wine, and he said, this is now my blood, the blood of the new covenant that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins, and as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let us drink of this cup to remember that Jesus shed his blood for every unrighteous person, that we might be forgiven for our sins, that we might become part of the kingdom of God, part of the solution, working with God to bring about righteousness in this world. May we remember Jesus, the one perfect hero whose monuments don't need to be torn down.